last few uh, days we had uh, several discussions. One uh, or two discussions inspired me to think of topic to talk uh, today. And uh, the topic I made out of all these uh, discussions, I made the topic like, is Buddhism the same as other religions? <laughs> so uh, this is one of the things that many people wonder and say, uh, yes, they are all the same. But we say it is uh, Buddhism is not the same as many other religions. Since we have a very uh, short time, I want to give you the summary of my reasons. And these reasons are, I think, uh, good for us to remember, because uh, when we encounter people of various religious traditions, they keep asking us the same question. So I got some uh, points and uh, want to bring them together so that we will have a certain idea about uh, how we present Buddhist uh, ideas and how can this be uh, different from other religions. So basically is that Buddhism is not exactly as other religions. Number one reason, where else other than Buddhism can you find Four Noble Truths? Number one, Four Noble Truths is so alien to so many people in so many religious traditions that they even don't want to hear about it. And uh, some people uh, put it uh, down, belittle it, and they say whenever we may, somebody in their discussions mentions for noble truth, they say, that is kid stuff. Let us talk something very, very deep. This shows how ignorant these people are of the four noble truth. One time I gave a talk in uh, Ottawa, and at the end of the talk, very learned man, he even got a PhD from some university. And he came up to me and said, Bhante, this four noble truth, noble eight whole path, these are the things that monks got together and put together. Did the Buddha ever really teach this? You can see how ignorant these people are of <laughs> the four noble truth. That is the core of uh, Buddha's teaching, and that is the primary reason that Buddhism makes uh, totally different from all other religious traditions. We call this uh, logical unit. In the logical unit, everything has certain order. One is that we have problem. Second, finding the cause of the problem. Third is uh, eliminating the problem. Fourth is the remedy, the way to eliminate the problem. And uh, this has not been presented in any, tra any tradition in this manner, in this order. And therefore this is number one difference between Buddhism and other religious traditions. We can elaborate each of them in detail. Uh, when we talk about the first one, the truth of suffering, some people get so upset. I remember once I gave a talk in uh, Cornell University on the way back, the professor asked me, when he was driving me to the airport, he asked me, Bhante, do Buddhists smile? <laughs> because he talked about 
so much about suffering. He is a university professor and he, uh, his understanding of suffering is so superficial that he thought uh, we always uh, show a very gloomy face. So I asked Professor, if you go to a Catholic church, can you see one single image smiling? Every image is showing very grim, sad face. Even the whole church is dark. The priest's garb is dark. Everything is dark. Even children are, you know, showing grief. And you ask, go to a Buddhist temple? Everything is bright. See the monks' robes, nuns' robes, and temples are very bright, and so forth. Buddha smiled, smiling, smiling face, and go to any Buddhist country. So we talk about the problem, but we don't succumb to the problem. We try to understand it and try to find out as a adult, matured, uh, intelligent uh, people. We don't uh, suck into it and get uh, always uh, gloomy. The second reason why we say it is uh, different from other tradition, in which tradition can you get sotapannas, sakadagamis, anagamis and arahans? The stream enters, once returners, never returners and an arahan. Now, when we actually, when we mention these four uh, terms, we have to keep in mind uh, how to uh, describe, explain these four stages, path stage and fruition stage and uh, noble eight individuals and so forth. There is no tradition that has uh, explained these individuals in this way. And the very systematic way of removing defilements from our mind very systematic, step by step. In which tradition have you read or heard explaining very clearly the way to heaven, the way to hell, the way to go to animal kingdom, the way to go to Brahma realms, and the way to attain liberation. In Buddhist tradition, it is only in Buddhist tradition, each realm of existence has been described and shown the way how they go into those different realm of existence. Uh, what one has to do to go to animal kingdom, what one must do to go to hells, what one must do to go to heavens, and what one must do to go to Brahma realms, and what one must do to totally liberate from all this existence. Very systematically we find them in Buddhist tradition. We studied in uh, Samadhiti Sutta, what is wholesome, what is unwholesome. What is wholesome? If we ask uh, any other tradition, any other, anybody else, they simply may mention something is wholesome or something is good. So how do they define it? In Buddhist tradition, these two terms are very clearly defined. People always ask, uh, what is good to me, we are not good to you. Then how can you define good and bad? Shakespeare said, there is nothing good and bad, thinking makes it so. <laughs> That's what some people think. But uh, in Buddhist tradition, good and bad, wholesome and unwholesome, 
skillful and unskillful are very clearly defined. That which is harmful to me, harmful to you, harmful to both is unwholesome, unskillful and bad. That which is beneficial to me, beneficial to you, beneficial to both is wholesome, skillful and good. Therefore, good and bad uh, is not something provincial, not something uh, limited to certain particular area and particular time and place. It goes beyond time, place and uh, situations. So, this definition encompasses the complete meaning, all meanings of good and evil. And that definition is given in the Buddha's teaching. Then, in which tradition can we hear or read the teaching of impermanence, <laughs> unsatisfactoriness and selflessness? Only in philosophy sometimes, some philosophers like Heraclitus may talk about impermanence, but they don't talk about unsatisfactoriness, particularly no self-teaching. Unsatisfactoriness, perhaps uh, existentialists uh, may talk about unsatisfactoriness, but even they don't talk about no-self. Now, and Buddha's explanation of no-self is a very, uh, very subtle. Buddha did not give any particular definition for self, or he did not teach uh, something to contradict the teaching of self. Buddha simply denied whatever people say self. Buddha said it is not self. Somebody says uh, body is self. Buddha said body is not self. Feeling is self. Buddha said feeling is not self. Perception is self. Buddha said perception is not self. Consciousness is self. Buddha said consciousness is not self. Then somebody can ask the Buddha, then what is self? Buddha would say, that is not my term, your term. You are the one who used the word self. You define it. <laughs> so the bowl is in his court. And Buddha said, whatever you mention, whatever you say is not self. And he did not try to define self. He simply said, that because if he tried to define self, uh, he would have fallen into one kind of wrong view or another. Buddha wanted to avoid falling himself into any view. <clears throat> so, he simply denied the notion of self. And this teaching can be found only in uh, Buddhism. There's a very controversial thing, very difficult thing for most people of most traditions to understand. And yet, Buddha stood by this uh, statement and uh, advised us to get deeper, clear understanding of this no-self-teaching. Next point is, and next reason why we say that Buddhism is different from other traditions, in what traditions have you heard or read that you should investigate, you should investigate the teaching? In all other traditions they say, follow me, believe me, carry my symbol and follow, 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 submit and become become my follower. Buddha said, no, investigate. 
before you accept it, you investigate. I don't see any other tradition, any other religious tradition has given this much total 100% freedom to think, to investigate. <coughs> he said, just like uh, Goldsmith uses uh, various techniques to check a piece of metal to see whether it is gold or not. He will burn it, he will uh, use uh, hammer and anvil and hammer it, cut it and runs, run all kind of tests to see whether this particular metal is gold or not. After running all these tests, if this particular metal stands all the tests, then he determined that it is gold. Similarly, Buddha said, use your, your intelligence, your wisdom, your own common sense and uh, see whether it is correct or not. If it is not correct, don't accept it. In the, the very famous discourse that we all know, nowhere else in any other tradition can we find this kind of discourses like Kalama Sutta, Chanki Sutta. Uh, in these discourses, Buddha has very clearly uh, stated the danger in accepting things without investigation. Only in the Buddha's teaching we can find this. Therefore it is uh, totally different, different from other traditions. Uh, no tradition allows their followers to think. In some traditions they approve their, their certain holy book and you must read, they, they insist that you must read only this version that we approve. <laughs> not any other version. So the, they are the ones who have the real authority. Everything else is wrong. In Buddha's teaching, no. You investigate. This is what I present. You look at it, investigate, and if it fits all the requirements, then you accept, otherwise you reject. Even when he uh, passed away, in, uh, it's mentioned in the Mahasatipatthana Sutta, when he passed away, Mahaparinibbana Sutta. He said uh, when uh, after his passing away, somebody may present the Dhamma and uh, might say that I learned the Dhamma from the Buddha's own mouth, sitting right in front of him. And therefore what I say is the truth, real Dhamma. Anything else you have already heard is not true Dhamma. And Buddha said, don't reject it, don't accept it, but check with the source, original source. Another time somebody else might come and tell you, I learned the Dhamma from both bhikkhus and bhikkhunis in a large congregation. I learned the Dhamma from both bhikkhus and bhikkhunis. And therefore what I have learned is the true Dhamma. Whatever else you have heard is not true Dhamma. So Buddha said, don't accept it. Don't reject it. Check with the source. Third time, third person may come and tell that I have learned Dhamma from a large uh, number of, a certain, certain number of very learned monks. And uh, therefore what I learned, what I t tells you is the truth, the rest is not true. And finally somebody may come and tell you that I learned the Dhamma from one single learned person, a monk or none. Therefore what I learn, what I tell you is the truth, 
everything else is false. Buddha says, don't accept, don't reject, but check with the source. This kind of total independent investigation can be found only in the Buddha's teaching. Then, in which teaching have we learned seven factors of enlightenment or 37 factors of enlightenment? Nowhere else. Only in this teaching we can find these factors of enlightenment. Sometimes the elaborated list has 37 and the compressed or brief list has seven. And in which teaching can we find the compassion, wisdom, mindfulness and concentration combined together? We can find many religious traditions teaching compassion. Some traditions teach concentration. Some traditions teach wisdom like uh, jnana-vada. But no tradition teaches mindfulness. But in Buddhist tradition, all the four are combined together. Compassion, wisdom, mindfulness and concentration. And uh, Buddha lived by these principles all his life. Never can we find one single incident where Buddha broke these principles, his principle of compassion, wisdom, mindfulness and concentration. He always followed them. And then, and these four uh, principles combine together in Buddha's teaching in order to gain true peace, solace, comfort and happiness. They are not combined together just as factors of philosophy, but uh, factors that makes our life livable in peace, and harmony, together with other individuals. And uh, nowhere can we find any teaching which does not force upon people. (laughs) Buddhism is one religion that does not force upon people. And whenever, when the Buddha asked the sixty of his disciples to go out and teach Dhamma, he instructed them not to force, but just present, they spread the seeds let the seed grow and bear fruit. But in, in his teaching and all other disciples of the Buddha, even after him, follow the same principle. My very uh, favorite simile is, uh, is, uh, is that we are like doctors. Normally doctors don't go on, uh, on people's doors asking whether there are patients. They sit in the office, open, of, open an office, put a sign outside, they sit inside. I think they, I don't know whether there are advertisements these days on uh, papers and magazines and mass, through mass media, but normally doctors sit in their office only when the patients, when somebody is sick, they go looking for a doctor. When the patient comes to the doctor, then the doctor treats the patient. Doctor doesn't go from house to house like selling magazines newspapers or some new product, they are not going from house to house to sell. They standing on street corners and shouting, if you take my medicine, you will get cured. If you don't take my medicine, you go to hell, you will die, you will have terminal cancer. Doctors don't say that. They sit, they get their qualification, hand their certificate, sit in the office and wait for patients. Patients are always there. 
they will come and he examine, diagnose according to his prognosis, he prescribes certain medicine for them to take. And the Buddha's approach is like that, because he knew the world is full of uh, sickness, people are sick. <laughs> they, when they are, since they are sick, they always try to find a solution and they go looking for doctors. And that is why the Buddha is called Bisakka Sarlakatta. Bisakka is uh, a physician, Sarlakatta is a surgeon. The surgeon's job is uh, cutting, physician's uh, job is to prescribe medicines. So the, the one who operates uh, does not uh, uh, do both. He, his job is operating. But Buddha was both. He was, oper- he oper- he was a physician as well as a surgeon. As a surgeon, what he did was he analyzed everything to the minutest analyzable point. And that is how he very convincingly declared to the world that there is no something called self through this analytical process. Then, uh, his, as a physician, he prescribed uh, medicine for us to take to get cure and get well, not only once but forever. We, we read every day, Dhammosada Samangnati Etam Pivata Bhikkhu, Dhammosada Pivitvana Adhara Marana Sivang. There is no medicine better than this Dhamma medicine. You take that medicine, having taken this medicine, you will not die. When you take other medicine, you will get cure and let, later you fall ill and you will die. When you take this medicine, not only you get cure, you will not die. That means only if you are born, you will die. If you are not born, you are not going to die. And therefore, when you take this medicine, that is the end of your cycle of birth. So you, you come to total end of your suffering. So the Buddha's cure is not something like a band-aid, not something temporary, but a permanent cure. Then another very important thing to remember (laughs) is very special in Buddhism. For the last 26 centuries, there has never been one single incident where one single drop of blood shed in the name of Buddhism. We never go to any place, any country, with the sword in one hand or gun in one hand and the Dhamma book in the other hand. Never. We never go to a country, never Buddha never went to any country, never any of his disciples went to any country, any house, any society, any community with the, the gun or weapon in one hand and the Dhamma book in the other. Of course, in... Uh, while Buddha was alive in Buddhist countries, uh, even today, violence is there. That is not because of uh, religion, not to spread the Dhamma, but those violence are caused by other uh, reasons, uh, politics and uh, social, economic uh, uh, rivalries and so forth and so on. But never had one drop of blood been dropped to spread the Dhamma to by uh, using any violence means to spread the Dhamma. We may ap- appear temporarily to be losing because uh, p- 
people think, um, can take advantage, the people go to Buddhist countries and convert Buddhists to their traditions, because Buddhists are very uh, peace-loving people. It is very easy for uh, violent person to attack peace-loving person, because peace-loving person doesn't come up with weapons. Violent person always goes with weapons, one weapon or another, intellectual weapon, you know, material weapon or some kind of weapon, they go there with some material weapon to attack those peace-loving people. And therefore, temporarily, they appear to be uh, losing. But in the long run, they don't lose. Because peace, the world really, from time immemorial up to now and into the future, people love peace. No question about it. If there is a violence, that is forced upon us. We are not born violent. We are born with peaceful peace in our mind. We like to live peacefully. And that is why it prevails, it spreads all over the world, even today. And nobody can uh, point their finger at uh, Buddhists, saying that on such and such an occasion, at such and such a place, for such and such a reason, to spread the Dhamma, you kill so and so. Nobody. Even Buddhists may kill. But they can never find any place where Buddha has approved killing. <laughs> and then, another thing I like to uh, point out, only in Buddhism we can find this. When somebody declares that he or she wants to follow the Buddha, or Buddha's teaching, Dhamma and Sangha, Buddha, it is only in Buddhism we can find it. Especially in the Buddha's example, when somebody came and uh, expressed his willingness to follow the Buddha, Buddha would say, go home and think. He, d he did not grab the person and uh, took him in the street in a procession to declare to the world that so-and-so became my follower. You remember one example in Upali Sutta, when Upali went to the Buddha, had a conversation, he went to the Buddha with the intention of defeating him in a debate. In the end, this man lost the debate and surrendered and expressed his uh, willingness to follow the Buddha. And Buddha said, you are a famous person, well-known person, person of uh, integrity. You should go home and think. Then he said, Venerable Sir, had I gone to another tradition, and express my desire to follow their tradition, they would have taken me into the street in a procession and declare to the world that I became their follower. You asked me to go home and think. For this reason I take your refuge for the second time, he said. Then he said, but you must not stop your support to your previous teachers. And uh, he said, Venerable Sir, oh, I have heard up to now that you uh, have been asking people only to support you and your disciples. Now you are asking me to support your rivals, my former teachers. They are the ones who sent me here to debate with you. And you are asking me to go and support them. And for this reason I take your refuge for the third time, he said. 
So, this incident is a, is a record. Never can you, can you find anywhere in any tradition that when somebody went to the religious teacher and expressed his willingness to accept uh, him as his uh, follower, uh, sending him away, no, no, go home, think, don't rush. In Buddhist tradition we find that. We can challenge, you can ask anybody, have, have you, in your tradition, your tradition you are talking about, have you come across such incident? One incident? In Buddhist tradition we can find many incidents. So it is totally different from other traditions. And then, another very important thing, in which tradition can you find gradual teaching? <laughs> gradual teaching. Like uh, sila, samadhi, panya. This is the base, this is the structure, this is the end. You know, very systematic order we can find the Buddha's teaching. And also, when Buddha uh, guided somebody in his teaching, when he taught somebody, sometimes individuals, sometimes groups of people, he gave systematic teaching, such as, first he would talk about dāna, dāna katha, talk about dāna, giving, practicing generosity, then talk about uh, morality, ethical moral principles. Then he talked about going to heaven by practicing dhyana and moral principles, you can go to heaven. Anybody can do that. Anybody can give dhyana. Dhyana means giving, whether you don't have, one doesn't have to be a Buddhist. Anybody can practice dhyana, donations. Anybody can practice moral principles. By practicing these two things, one can go to heaven. That also can, any, any, anybody can do that. Do. Then, after talking that, Buddha talked something nobody else talked about. That is, Kamanam Asad. Kama means sensual pleasure. Becoming very good human being, you enjoy sensual pleasure. Becoming animal, you enjoy sensual pleasure. Going to heaven, you enjoy sensual pleasure. While you are in your mind, enjoying sensual pleasures, Buddha would start talking about danger of that sensual pleasure. For the listener to think, instead of getting carried away with emotions of sensual pleasure, while the person is mentally, psychologically thinking and enjoying sensual pleasure, Buddha talk about danger of sensual pleasure. What is the danger? Because it is impermanent. <laughs> that is, that is that, that the danger. It is impermanent. Then is, it is bringing you down. Your spiritual practice goes down. Degradation. Then it defiles the mind. Having given all these stages, then Buddha talk about nekkhammecha anisanse, the benefit of letting go of this clinging, craving, attachment for any kind of sensual pleasures. You see, he did not condemn sensual pleasures at all. No. He told them, when you do this, you can enjoy sensual pleasure. You even can go to heaven. But remember, that is not the end. It has its own downfall. And that also you must remember. He did not draw a beautiful picture and let people go. Go to heaven. Every girl is 16 years old. 
every boy in the heaven is 18 years old. They are all enjoying pleasure day and night. So that is a beautiful story. But is it true? Is this girl going to remain 16 years old all the time? And boy 18 years all the time? No. Having given the one side of the picture, Buddha did not stop. He wanted to give the total picture of this existence. And also, another reason why it is different, why we say it is different from other traditions, is that in this tradition, the Buddha was teaching Dhamma not just casually throwing pearls in front of swine. No. He taught Dhamma by through understanding the mentality of the listener. If the listener is very uh, uh, foolish, cannot grasp, he would simply say, you are too immature. You come from various different traditions. This is too deep for you, too difficult for you. Don't try to kill yourself. You go home. When he was teaching Dhamma, if he saw the listener, listener's mind is slowly opening to the reality, and he guides the person through his teaching, and he was able to do that while seeing the mind of the person, using, that is where he used his uh, special, super normal state of mind, supernormal attainments. That is, knowing what you call parachitta vijanana, knowing the minds of others, reading the minds of others, he taught while teaching, he saw whether this person is really grasping is really benefiting and then he gave the next step, the next step and next step until the person attains either stream entry or full enlightenment. So that is uh, another thing we can find in the Buddha's teaching. And then finally I must say Buddha was the one who planned his life. We have all kind of planning, organizing, computers, softwares to organize things these days. Buddha organized all of them from the day he attained enlightenment till he passed away. He had organized everything systematically. He even knew when he was going to pass away. This is one of the things that we discussed the other day. When Buddha was, Siddhartha Gautama was renouncing the world and going for us, to practice uh, research, Mara, evil one, appeared to him and said, you are a prince, you can enjoy your life, stay home, practice morality, give dana, you can go to heaven, enjoy. Buddha said, you get out of my way, I have my plan. So he followed that plan. Then, practice mortification and so forth, when he attained enlightenment, Mara appeared again and said, now, you are enlightened. Why do you want to live? Pass away. Go ahead. Die. Get lost. Don't live. Buddha said, Mara, don't try to fool me. I will not pass away. He made this statement about six times. 
this time he said, I will not pass away until all bhikkhus, Buddha used very beautiful terms in old Pali, I read in, in, in English, I will not take final Nibbana until I have monks and disciples who are accomplished, trained, skilled, learned, novice of the Dhamma, trained in conformity with the Dhamma, who will pass on what they have gained from their teacher, teach it, declare it, establish it, expound it, analyze it, make it clear. Till then they shall be able by means of the Dhamma to refute false teachings that have arisen and teach the Dhamma. Until then I will not pass away. When the bhikkhus monk's order was complete and accomplished all these things, then Mara came and said, why don't you pass away now? You have established your order of Sangha, bhikkhus. Then he said, no, until I establish the order of bhikkhunis, who also have these qualities, I will not pass away. When the bhikkhunis accomplished these qualities, Mara appeared again and said, now I do, why, why are you waiting? Pass away. Then Buddha said, no, until my lay men accomplish all these things, I will not pass away. Then when they accomplished all these things, Mara appeared again and said, fourth time, first time before he went to the, before he attaining enlightenment, second time after attaining enlightenment, this is the fifth time, he said, why don't you pass away now? He said, no, until all lay women, disciples, have gained these qualities, accomplished in all these things, I will not pass away. So he was able to fight with the death, Mara, and challenge him. And finally, when the women disciples accomplished all these things, Mara appeared to him and said, pass away. He said, yes, I give you three months' notice. <laughs> and I will, on such and such a day, at such and such a time, I will pass away. So do you think Mara won and Buddha lost? Because Buddha was, Buddha's teaching was deathlessness. But he himself died. And his cure, his medicine was for deathlessness. But he died. Somebody can say, well, he was teaching deathlessness, but he himself died. What does it mean? Now, Buddha's death is called Ayating Anuppada Dhamma. Ayating Anuppada Nirodha. That is, Death, of course, is all right, but his death does not uh, bring another life. In other individuals, death will bring another life. They die and take rebirth. Buddha's is the final death after which he never came back. That is called Anuppada Dhamma, Anuppadina Rodha. And that is why all enlightened persons can declare very bravely, Katankaraniyang nabarang ittattaya. I have done what was to be done, nothing more to do. This kind of statement can be made only by one who has attained 
full enlightenment. So Buddha showed it to the world and he gave this full plan. Until the last second of his life, he was 100% conscious, mindful, alert. Akuppa mecheto imutti. His mind was undisturbed, he got undisturbed liberation. His liberation was so that the mind would, mind was never be disturbed. Therefore it is called Akuppa cheto imutti. He liberated without any disturbances in his mind. And that is why he lived so purely, so <coughs> mindfully and uh, with 100% awareness, alertness and consciousness. Last, up to the last second. So, what the Mara got finally? The dead body. What can you do with the dead body? <laughs> that is what Mara got. And eventually it was the Buddha who, who won the battle. And Mara lost. So, I think this is enough. This is what I wanted to bring up today to show the difference between Buddhism and other traditions, other religious traditions, and to say that Buddhism is not exactly the same as any other tradition. It is different. When we say different, in what way sometimes somebody can ask, it is different from other tradition. Then they ask, in what way? These are the ways. In these ways, it is different from other traditions.